Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast. Hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Six Sense Podcast. I'm Lucas. I got Chris here. And then, of course, Uriah. A couple big games recently going on. But before we get into that, how are we doing today, guys? Doing well. Doing well. How are y'all? Got my taxes done. So weight off my shoulders. I got to do my next weekend, man. I'm nervous. Me too. I'm but- but, but I'm, I'm, but I got, I got that stimmy. So you know, I'll be stimmy. Okay. Yeah, I got that <laughs> stimmy. So I'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. You know, I had a good day. Me and my daughter, we had a lot of fun. So that was good. But let's let's go ahead and jump into our uh, our podcast tonight, guys. Yeah, we're gonna start off with the Brooklyn game from. Wednesday night, and Uriah, I'm just going to give you the floor first because you were actually there in person uh, for the first time this season. How was that experience for you? Well, let's just say I got there an hour and a half early. There was very little traffic. It was raining a little bit. Had the TV cameras outside because it was a nationally televised game. And let me tell you guys, it felt so good to watch the Sixers game somewhere other than my couch. It felt great to be in the building amongst other Sixers fans. It just felt good to be at the Wells Fargo Center. The biggest thing that stood out to me was just the fact that so many fans uh, were missing. Everything was spread out. You get there and they had like a a rally towel and they had a a pennant there waiting for you at your seat. So Wells Fargo Center, they did did it right. I felt safe. Everyone's wearing a mask. The players were warming up and, you know, I was taking pictures and saw Kyrie out there, which made me happy because throughout the day I kept saying, oh, Katie's not playing. He's resting because he played Minnesota the night before. And obviously Harden's got his hammy, but the game was, you guys saw it. It was up and down, especially at the end. 
Actually, no, the Sixers, they had full control, and then they fell apart in the fourth quarter. So emptied out benches, man. That's what happened. And, you know, I'll get into this in a minute, but, you know, we were missing a key bench piece, and I think that impacted it. Oh, and, and I just want to say, when, when you're actually at the game and you're looking down and you can see players moving and you can see the screens a little bit better from where I was sitting, and Kyrie, I, I, I tell you what, that guy is amazing. His his agility, his quickness, unless you see him up close and personal, I don't think TV captures his talent the, the way you see it in person, so... I was glad that he played. If he didn't play, I'd have been really ticked off. You yeah, dropped so it, a lot of money on those tickets too, from what you told us. So mm-hmm. I don't blame you for if you would have been fit, not, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Adam Silver has to do something about all this uh, load management crap. But I don't know. Let's let's get your opinion on the game. What you guys think of the game? Oh, well, I'll I'll go ahead and throw in a few things here. First off, um, I think the run happened. Because you empty out the benches, and it happens sometimes in the league where, you know, one the team that's down their bench is just like, you know what, let's not go out without a fight. The Nets surprisingly have a pretty young bench for the most part. You know, you got Nick Claxton, you got uh, I forget his first name, Brown. I think I know his last name is Brown, right? He he's he just came over from uh, Detroit. They basically use him as as like a six foot four center. With uh, their other starting, uh, their other stars sometimes, Landry Shamit, even though he was starting, you know he's usually a bench guy. TLC was also coming off the bench. You know they got some young guys on the bench there that are feisty, so it's not surprising for them to make the run. But I will also say this: the Sixers were, you know, without Dwight Howard, first game he missed all season long, and without a true backup center behind Dwight, I mean it showed in this game. <laughs> It showed in that respect, you know, there when Joel was off the court, there wasn't too much rim protection and not another solid rebounder outside of him and Ben. So, I mean, Tobias is good too, but you know what I mean. So, yeah, those were my main takeaways. I mean, and the, uh, to talk on Kyrie Irving, like Stephen A. Smith says, he's the best show on the planet. That being said, I do agree with Max Kellerman and the fact that, you know, when he's leading a team by himself, it doesn't always translate to wins or, you know, good play on the court. We saw it in Cleveland before LeBron got there. Granted, that was a rebuilding team. We saw it in Boston, chemistry issues there. And then last season when he was, you know, with the Nets, they were kind of struggling with him versus they did play better when he was out with injuries. So I don't know. I think there's something there to it. But, you know, he plays great as a secondary star with, like, James Harden or Kevin Durant. There's no denying that. But him leading the show doesn't always translate to wins, in my opinion. So that's my takeaways from that game. Yeah, I think those are all pretty fair takeaways. I I mean, I've sort of disagreed with you on the Kyrie point in the past. We've, We've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was really leading those Celtics teams by himself. I mean, Horford was as good, if not better. They had Tatum. You know, they, they had some other talent on that roster, but. He was supposed to be the marquee star, star on that team. That That's that's the point there. Um, yeah, and, and they were a pretty good team, too. And, you know, but anyways, I, I think those are all for your takeaways from Philly's perspective. You know, another great Joel Embiid game, 39 mm-hmm. points. 
13 rebounds, 36 of those coming in the first three quarters. I mean, he looked pretty uncomfortable. That knee brace is still clearly bothering him. Wasn't moving as well as we're used to him moving, and he still dropped 30-plus in three quarters. I mean, that's just where we're at with Joel right now. He's on a pretty remarkable run this season. Um, Tobias had a great game before he left late with what seems to be some some irritation in his knee. A lot of people were wondering why he didn't play down the stretch. Um, this seems to be a, a small knee issue, but 26 on 17 um, on 11 of 17 from the floor. Just a really really good Tobias game when he was in there. Porting Cash showed up. Another strong Shake Milton game. Shake has really been turning things around lately. 15 on 6 of 8, 3 of 4 from deep. You know, we just need more games like that from him. So, for the most Cork part, this is just a really strong... What? I was going to say Cork Moss was solid. Yeah, Furkan. So, just a really strong all-around effort until that end of the fourth quarter, back into the fourth quarter. Things mm-hmm. kind of went off the rails there. But for most of the game, Philly was in control and playing really strong basketball. I, I mean, I always enjoy watching Kyrie play, so I'm glad that he was able to give it a go. I know a lot of people have been complaining about all the DMPs on Brooklyn's end. Like, I understand sitting Kevin Durant on the second half of a back-to-back, given his recent injury history, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, Aldridge cool. was on the verge of retirement, so I don't know if there was as much to say there as, as we maybe thought there was. Mm-hmm. But all in all, just a pretty fun game until the end. Yeah, I, can can I add a few more points here that I forgot to add to begin with? First off, the Brown, the player with the last name Brown was Bruce Brown. He had 14 points off the bench. But more importantly, a couple other things here. First off, this was probably a good Ben Simmons game that we've seen in couples. You know, he had a, a bad stretch, but this is the first one, so at least he played well in this. Um, can't complain too much there. Uh, nine assists to one turnover, three steals, one block, 17 points, four rebounds. That's a one for Ben. To talk on Aldridge, and this was more, first off, we wish him nothing but the best. He's taking care of himself now, which is great. The irregular heartbeat thing is a serious issue. That being said, and we talked about this a little bit, um, you know, prior to the start of the podcast here, but um, I think this is going to... This was really a good, like this Aldridge retiring will help Joel be conserve himself defensively and allow him to stay inside the paint more. If these two match these these two teams match up in the playoffs, I think Aldridge was the one center that you know they could throw against Joel and Joel not completely just utterly destroy, and you know. <laughs> And uh, he could still stretch the floor against Joel, so he would have to, you know, come outside the paint to defend him. So I think that helps Joel a little bit in this potential matchup. So outside of that, Corkmaz came back down to earth. He still had a solid game. Yeah, no, um, I don't know what's going on with Seth Curry, but um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, can anybody tell me? Because I don't remember this during the game. When did Ben Simmons hit that three? Because uh, attempt that three? Because I don't remember that happening. Does anybody remember that happening? I think I was getting a beer <laughs> at the time. I don't. I don't remember him ever attempting a three in the game. It says here on the box score that he attempted a three. Oh, it was the end of a third. It was the end of a quarter. I do oh, remember. Okay. It was the. It was the shot clock was or the game clock was running down, and he. It was almost near half court, I think, or beyond oh. it. Let me just elaborate on a few things that that for people watching on TV, when Joel, 
I think it was when he had that um, he got fouled and he made that crazy circus shot and he got up and he put his arms in the air and he was getting the crowd into it. That felt amazing. It was electric smiles on everyone's face, including Joel. So it was great to to see the crowd or to be part of the crowd cheering him on. Mm -hmm. I will also say I want to also ask you, Uriah. So is the when you get concessions during this COVID thing, is it like the same as, you know, do they still have like a normal line or how did that work versus, you know, pre-COVID versus during COVID? Well, they don't have the, they usually have high tables out where mm-hmm. you can stand and eat your food, but that yeah. was not allowed. You had to eat at your seat and yeah, they sold alcohol, but you just couldn't, you know, hang around and have conversation with people. Okay, because I remember the last game I went to, they had these giant slices of pizza, and I was I really liked that that as part of the concessions. Oh, the twelve dollars um, slices. Yeah, yeah, those things, $12. mad expensive, but totally worth it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no. And then the other thing I will say about Joel's knee brace: this isn't the first time Joel's had to wear a knee brace, and I'm pretty sure he complained a lot about it last time too. And I think what was it like two or three seasons ago? Yeah, it was definitely a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, he'll be fine. He'll eventually take it off, I'm pretty sure. He'll get sick and tired of it, and he'll take it off. But um, he played through it last time. He'll play through it this time. And he, obviously, he's playing well with it on. For sure. And we can go ahead and talk about the Dallas game now. Um, Lucas, what were some of your big takeaways from that game? Corkmaz played well against a good team. That's That's one. Uh, you know, as Joel Embiid showing that you can't just throw average centers out at him. I mean, gosh, the the Mavericks had four centers, and they combined for let's see, Maxi Kleber had four fouls, Boban Marjanovic had three fouls, Dwight Powell had a foul, Willie Cauley Stein had a foul. So what what is that? That that's eleven fouls right there. And if you want to uh, include uh, Melly, the guy that they recently acquired in a trade, that's 13 fouls between, you know, Dwight, I mean, Joel got to the line 15 times, I think, you know, and I'm sure not all of them came from those guys, but it's crazy how, you know, powerful Joel is. So besides that, I don't really have any major takeaways. I mean, Thibault had a good defensive game. Milton had a solid game. And yeah, I mean, it was kind of surprising that Harris only had 10 points on, you know, four of 11 shooting, but you know, it's okay. They didn't need him to go off to that night. So it was all fine. Yeah. Great points again. Um, really? I mean, if, if, if you don't have a half decent defensive center, you're going to struggle against the Sixers team. That's just kind of the state of things with Joel. Dallas is right up there with Brooklyn among the worst equipped teams to handle Joel. I mean, Maxi Kleba is not the biggest center. Boban can't move in space whatsoever. You know, Dwight Powell is only getting 13 minutes a game. You're just he's injured. He, he's coming off a pretty significant injury, though. To be fair to him. Yeah, no, but they're just not really equipped to handle Joel. And again, pretty much 30 plus points in three quarters, which is not mm-hmm. as easy as Embiid has made it look this season. He's done it several times now. A less great Tobias game, but Ben, not great either. Only six shot attempts, but Joel's the MVP. You know, when he's putting up 
games like this, it's going to be pretty hard for Philly to, to lose. Um, Dallas has, has been a good team lately. They've won some games since the All-Star break. They're heading in the right direction. We all saw that Luka game winner last night against Memphis, but, you know, Philly just has their number, it seems, and, and Joel's a big reason for that. So let me ask you, Chris, you said that Joel's the MVP. Do you think he's the front – do you think he has a chance to reclaim that front-running status right now? A, a small chance, I would say. I, I You know, I re, we talked about this. On, I, I'm going to throw this out here because we talked about it before we came on air here. Basically, I and you guys can check it out on the website, the com, or well, actually, it's just sixersense.com. Anyway, um, so I recently wrote about how the Jamal Murray injury will actually help Joel Embiid's chances of winning MVP, and the reason is because if the Nuggets, uh, the Nuggets lost their second best player to an ACL tear, we wish him nothing but the best in terms of recovery. But for this season, he's lost. He's not coming back. And there's a good chance that they slip in the standings. And if they slip too far down, like two or three spots, it's really hard to justify giving Nikola Jokic, you know, whose team is in the bottom half of the Western playoff race, whose team could be in the bottom half, you know, assuming that they slip the MVP. And then who do you give it to? LeBron James has missed a lot more time than Joel. I mean, you could make an argument for Damian Lillard, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't hate that argument, but you know, because I think Damian deserves it. But I mean, Joel Embiid also. I mean, let's be real. Nobody, there's only been one player in this whole entire season that has given Joel any type of problems, and that's Stephen Adams. And one team that has given him problems, and that's the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> Outside of that, literally nobody has slowed him down. So. You know, and Tim Legler still has him as his MVP. There are people still, you know, there's still media members that still like him as the MVP. I still like him as the MVP, especially now with this Murray injury. I think it's possible. Yeah, I definitely think it's possible. It's it's mostly a narrative award. And as I said, I think last podcast, you know, I don't get the sense that a lot of the NBA media members are crazy about Jokic and the way they are about guys like Joel and Embiid. Joel and LeBron, sorry. So, you know, he doesn't quite have the media hype around him that other stars do. He's kind of a low-key guy in a smaller market. But um, ESPN ran their mock MVP poll today. Jokic was up on Embiid by like 500 points, got 90 of 100 roughly first-place votes, I believe. So Joel has quite a bit of ground to make up. We have fewer than 20 games left, I think, so... There's not a ton of time for Denver to plummet, and there's not a ton of time for Embiid to make up that ground because he really has missed quite a few games in comparison to Jokic, who hasn't missed. I don't has he missed eighteen any? games? By the way, it's eighteen games. Yeah. So when you factor in that it's you know a shortened season, that's eighteen out of seventy-two, not eighteen out of eighty-two. It's going to be a stain on his record for sure. I'm not saying that it should be necessarily, but a lot of voters are just going to have him disqualified in their mind because he missed those games. Like I'm sure. Well, if they were going to allow, uh, can, can I just say this? If James Harden was still going to be a legit contender, even though he botched those games with the Rockets, then these games missed by Joel should not be held against him as strongly as they they are right now. Well, we can say he. 
watched the games with the Rockets, he was still averaging like a 28-point triple-double. It wasn't like he wasn't doing anything. Well, those last like 10 games, though, Chris, those were ugly. Yeah. He was averaging like 20, like 20, 18 points per game. He wasn't trying, man. I, I agree. And he wasn't trying and playing extremely good basketball. And he's been the spearhead of the best offense in recent memory since he's gotten to Brooklyn. Obviously, this injury kind of hurts him. So it's a different conversation now. But. Yeah, I mean that's we're getting a bit far from the point, but I I don't yeah. think Embiid has much of a chance. It's gonna be it's an uphill battle for sure. Okay, well let's go ahead and shift gears, and we're gonna talk about the Sixers' other you know franchise cornerstone, Ben Simmons, and it's not so much about his play, but about the words that are coming out of his mouth. Let let me read you guys one quote here that he said about the Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn has a lot of talent, but there's only one ball, and you gotta play defense too. So let me ask you guys this. What do we think about Ben's comments regarding the Nets? I, I'm a fan of the general drama that comes with the NBA. I, I love it when guys kind of poke the bear. You know, I, I don't have a problem with this. Will it look bad when the Nets, like, sweep Philly in the conference finals? <laughs> Maybe, but I'm fine oh, with Hold up. Do you think they'll sweep? Do you think they'll sweep the Sixers? That was a... a hyperbole. I might okay, be five or okay. six games, but you know. <laughs> obviously this is a quote that people will go back to if and when Philly loses. I apologize for the cat in the background. <laughs> I didn't even hear him until I, when you said something. <laughs> Chris, get your damn cat. I know. Lock him up. No, I'm just joking. I'm sorry. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I love it, generally speaking. I'm all for for drama and for just stirring the pot it, it's really generally speaking what players say to the media doesn't matter as much as the media likes to make it out to matter <laughs> i'm so sorry but okay I'm now I can go talk to me again. <laughs> but yeah i i like it good good stuff from ben you know I'm, I'm okay with it i mean it's a little bit of a hot take considering that he wasn't he was having a rough stretch of play himself but I mean, he is it inaccurate of what he's saying? No, is a little bit like tongue in cheek. Yes, but you know what? Like you said, the NBA school of drama. I like the fact that Ben has this swag because he hasn't really had. You know, he's never really mouthed off before. So the fact that he's doing it now is showing a level of confidence that he hasn't had before. And who knows? Maybe maybe this will translate to on the court especially on the offensive end, but, you know, obviously it's doing something. He's already playing pretty well defensively. But, I mean, we'll see. I, you know, we, we won't see this matchup until probably the playoffs. I don't – do they play again this season? I don't think they do. All I know, guys, is I don't like it. I know, Chris, the drama is entertaining. I don't like it one bit. Ben is still – I mean, yeah, he's defensive player of the year candidate, and I think he should win it. But – I don't like poking the bear because clearly they do not respect the Sixers. They know something that we don't know. And KD, he's been there before, two-time champion. Kyrie, champion. Harden is, you know, all all planet NBA. And they have that much confidence. They don't respect the Sixers. And I, I don't even think they respect Ben Simmons. And for him to come out and say that, that's just adding fuel to the fire. I don't I don't like it one bit. Just just 
just play your game and let your let your game speak for you in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I will say this, like, the context of his quote, obviously, is that Brooklyn, they're, they're the heavy favorites right now, and I don't think anyone is arguing with that. A few people here and there, like, show up on ESPN and say they, they're going to pick the Sixers, but frankly, Brooklyn's got the edge. It seems pretty obvious right now. Um, I enjoy Ben's confidence. I wish it would come through more on the court sometimes, but... I don't think this is really the first time he's kind of mouthed off to the media. I, I, I don't feel like this is a side of him we haven't seen or anything like that. Well, I mean, can you can you name something? Because I, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember him being this bold. Yeah, it, it's not like he's talking about Jared Dudley, Chris. It's, like, it's not the Nets from 2019. This is, this is the big four or the big three. I, yeah, no, I'm, I, I mean, I understand. And I will say, like, the one ball argument – it's kind of stupid. Uh, yeah. Anyone yeah. who's watched Brooklyn, I know they haven't had all three guys out there much at all, but sharing the ball and putting up points is not going to be an issue there. I think their defense is probably better than people think it is. I don't know if they're a good defense, but they have some switchable guys. When Nick Claxton is on the floor, when Bruce Brown's on the floor, they can put out some pretty interesting defensive groups that can maybe give teams a problem. And beads obviously going to be a bigger problem for them because he's so big and physical down low that's a different story but generally speaking i don't think anyone in brooklyn is going to remember this in a month <laughs> well uh, and i'll just i'll say this um they're gonna have good ball movement their head coach is arguably the best passer of all times in the nba or at least the smartest passer of all, all time in MV, in the nba in uh, Steve Nash. And, uh, yeah, they can play defense, though they don't have anybody to play defense against Joel. So, but moving on, and, you know, we talk about fans that have uh, usually have short-term memories, but uh, right now the Jazz fans are certainly not happy about what uh, Ben Simmons said about Rudy Gobert. And before I say this, let me just say how I, I, I'm – what Ben said here is what I've been saying on this podcast for weeks. So let me read it here. Let me read it here. I mean, Rudy Gobert guarded me in Utah, and I had 42 points. Apparently, I'm not a scorer. So what do we make about these comments that he made about Rudy Gobert in his interview with Rachel Nichols? I, I mean, I talked about the drama with Brooklyn Brooklyn fans don't seem to be as vocal as Utah fans, so there's definitely more drama with this quote. Um, I, I had quite a good time on Twitter yesterday just watching some certain reactions to that quote um, from the Utah side of things. Um, you know, the, the argument that Ben, oh, he's talking to the media about his award. I've never seen a player care this much about an award. It's sort of rich coming from Utah, given the whole Donovan Mitchell Rookie campaign, not that long oh, ago. Oh, gosh, yes. Like, yeah. Come on, y'all. But, again, it doesn't actually matter in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Rudy will probably get my defensive player of the year vote. That what? doesn't count for anything. But what? At the end of the Traitor. day, it's just good fun. I, so I, we've talked about this on the pod before. Nothing's really change between I know I know but Chris come on Ben makes a very good point 
And I'm only saying that because I've made it first. Okay, well, Luca just <laughs> dropped 32 the other night. Kyrie just dropped 37. Hey, Chris, I think Ben only said that because he heard it from Lucas first. So I think we have exactly. to give, See, we have to give Lucas some credit. I actually don't mind this statement to Rachel Nichols as opposed to what he said about Brooklyn because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's great for him, but it does nothing for the team. And when you start spitting and yapping off at the mouth against three of the best players ever at their position, eh, we don't need any bulletin board material for, for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Like I said, guys, I've been saying this for weeks. And, yeah, you're right. Recently, Ben's defense has slipped against Kyrie, who is the greatest show on earth, and Luka Doncic, who's arguably arguably going to be the next face of the league, and Zion Williamson, who's a yeah. physical freak. Yeah, like we can nitpick matchups for any defensive player that you're kidding. But, but, but come on, but come on. I mean, I love Ben, but there's no way he should be going off for 42 points against Rudy Gobert. Well, to say... Rudy was not guarding him in the same way that Ben was guarding Luca, for example. It's a different setup. Rudy was guarding I mean, I him because they didn't that, really need still. to commit anyone to him outside of five feet. And obviously, Ben had a great game. Joel was absent that night, but and then I mean, Joel it's went not off the same against Rudy. him. Hmm? I, I will say this: Rudy is a great team defender. What he does protecting that paint against you know most other players helps the Utah Jazz's defense be elite i'm not denying that but in terms of personal matchups more often than not ben wins them and rudy doesn't and that's that's where i'm drawing the line there in a lot of cases team defense is more important than one-on-one defense i mean i get that they're also a top five defense as well actually i I believe they're ranked higher than also has plays with joel who might be the better, the best defender on the team. Rudy doesn't have another. Don't, don't, don't forget about Thibault either. You know, the Sixers' third candidate for def- all defensive team. Yeah. Like Ben wouldn't be able to do what he does so effectively without Joel behind him. So that's I think, a good point. I think they really work off each other quite a bit. I think they're probably one of the best defensive duos in terms of. You know, Joel being, cleaning up all the messes he can in the back allows Ben to be as aggressive as he is and vice versa. So Rudy doesn't have that. Rudy's basically a one-man system. Utah has plenty of good defenders on the team. Um, they're a very well-organized, disciplined defensive team all around. Rudy's really the crux of everything they do there. So I, I think that's why I would go with Gobert if I was voting be for Defensive too. Player of the Year. But yeah, well, to be fair, he also has probably the best backup defensive center in the league in Derek Favors. So, because Derek Favors would be starting on most teams. Yeah, I, I mean, they don't play together, so I don't really see Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I'm just, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have a problem with this move. I, I don't, I don't, like I said, I've been saying it for a while. But um, last thing before we move on, Chris, you kind of mentioned it earlier. That both Sixers great Dr. J and then former NBA All-Star and champion Rasheed Wallace are both picking the Sixers to come out of the East over Brooklyn and Milwaukee. And even though this isn't on our agenda, I believe Dr. J said that the the Nets are buying a championship, which he does not like. 
are they being homers? Because they're, you know, obviously Dr. J played for the Sixers and Wallace is from Philly or is a big Philly fan, at least. I'm not sure on, on whether or not he's from here, but I he know went to he went to Gratz High School. He's Philly born oh, and raised. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for that. I did not know. Or do you, do you think they're being homers, guys? Or do you think he's actually they're actually being, you know, logical in this sense? I don't know if they're being homers per se, but like Philly's the one seed right now. They they're one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the league. They have arguably an MVP candidate in Joel. It's not outside the realm of reason to say, "Hey, they're my pick in the East." That said, um, I struggle to see them beating a healthy Brooklyn team. Uh, the Nets are in a super weird situation where their core isn't going to have played together much at all before the playoffs. And the defense is pretty bad in comparison to most other contenders over the past forever. So the Nets are kind of operating in a weird space where we haven't seen a team like them win a championship. Maybe they need a year like Miami did when they lost to Dallas. Maybe the Sixers can kind of shut them down, you know, we know that Joel is has a pretty favorable matchup with Brooklyn, but at the end of the day, I, I just struggle to see them slowing down that offense as, as great as Philly's defense is. Durant, Harden, Kyrie, and a pretty solid supporting cast. It, it, it's just a lot to handle. The Nets have looked really good when they've had Harden on the floor. They have pretty much three top 20 guys, two top five guys, in my opinion in the league and that's just a rare a rare mix that's going to be pretty hard to beat so brooklyn is my pick obviously to come out of the east but i i don't think it's like homerism to say hey you know the Sixers have a chance i think dr j is speaking from a position of bias i think he's old school and he sees like you said lucas he sees the nets buying a championship and i think he compared them to the new york yankees so I think he's being yes, he a position a position of bias, not necessarily a homer. He doesn't like the style in which management has formulated formed that team. I think Rasheed Wallace is looking because he played and he was a very good defender. I think he sees the Sixers for what they are, an outstanding defensive team that can go toe-to-toe with any great offense. I think Chris makes a very valid point. They have so many weapons. As we saw last night, even if – two of their three stars has a bad game or miss a game like KD and Harden were out, they still got Kyrie. They still have other players that can step up. And then they also didn't have Blake Griffin the other or last night. So I don't know if it's a Homer thing. I just think they have their own unique perspective. I don't don't think that – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. No, I mean, also important is, like, you look how Rasheed Wallace won his championship with Detroit, right? That was – a defense first team. If the Sixers are going to win a championship, it's going to be because they defend their butts off. They're not mm-hmm. going to win a championship on offense. Joel is great. They have their moments, but this is, as Daryl Morey has said, comparing them to Doc's championship run with Boston, this team is going to win a championship on defense if they do. So I, I think obviously Dr. J was in Philly, but with Rashid especially. I think he probably sees some similarities between how he won and how the Sixers might win. So that, that might be where he's coming from. I think, I think that's a fair point. And if let's just say, yes, they're going to win on defense, which I think we all agree. That's probably their best chance. 
then in philosophy, Elton Brand wasn't wrong to try to build a strong defensive team last year. He just did it terribly. Um, that being said, I don't think they're being homers. You know, Dr. J is just old school, like Uriah said. He doesn't like how the team's buying their way in. And Rashid Wallace, like you said, Chris, he sees a defensive juggernaut in the making. And that's really your only bet to win this championship. Um, that and Chris, you brought up a great point. Like, you know, we talked about how James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant are, uh, I would say Kyrie's arguably top 20 of his position all time. James Harden's top 10. If you want to keep him at shooting guard, say, well, honestly, you could probably flip it either way for James Harden. Kyrie's a top 20, 25 point guard of all time. And Kevin Durant's top five small forward of all time. When you look at that Heat team, Dwayne Wade is, in my opinion, third best shooting guard of all time right now. And then you got um, behind Michael Jordan, the great, great late Kobe Bryant. And then you had LeBron James, best small forward of all time. Uh, and then you got Chris Bosh. I would say probably in the top 20, 25 of power forwards, which is a pretty impressive list and feat in itself. It took them a year. Granted, they got to the NBA Finals, but it took them a year, but they came together in the offseason. They didn't have to make any major in, in-season trades like the, the Nets did. They got to play with each other the majority of the year. That's not the Nets. It could happen where their chemistry isn't working or they're not healthy during the playoffs. Who knows? We don't. They could very well be out one or two all-star, you know, superstars. It could happen. Or they could be without Blake Griffin, who, let's be real, is well, probably going to be a decent, you know, I mean, he's not going to be, you know, a key factor, but he is a factor. They might not be healthy. We don't know that. And if they're not, if they're not fully healthy, all three of them, then the Sixers have a legit shot. Yeah, I think that's fair. I will say, like, I think there's a world in which Brooklyn loses one of them and still goes to the finals. Like, they could probably yeah, lose I, well, I, I'll tell KD you the, and still have it, a pretty decent chance. As long as they don't lose KD, then they have a decent chance. But if they lose KD, I think if they lose Kyrie, then there's a chance that they could still win it all. Like, that's how much I believe in Harden and KD. But if they lose KD or Harden, there's a chance, especially uh, KD, then there's a chance they don't get out of the East. Yeah, like, I, I, say, I think that's fair. We're going to we move do on now and talk mm-hmm. about some impressive numbers from the Sixers' big men. We're going to start with Joel, who's currently averaging 13.1 free throw attempts per 36 minutes, which is on pace to set the NBA record. It will break Wilt Chamberlain's record from 1962 when he averaged 12.6. So a pretty decent margin there for Joel. Lucas, how important do you think Embiid's frequent visits to the free throw line are and will continue to be in the playoffs? Well, it's going to be essential during the playoffs, especially if the Sixers are going to be this grinded-out defensive team. You have to get easy buckets and stop the clock, especially, for example, if you're playing against a team like the Nets, getting easy buckets, getting stopping the clock while adding to your lead or, you know, catching up, whichever where they're coming from, is essential. And Joel Embiid's an 85% free throw shooter this year. Like, you know, it's 
insane. And honestly, I could see him averaging during the playoffs where, you know, they're going to have tighter calls. They're going to blow the whistle more often. He can he can easily average 20 to 25 free throws a game. I honestly do believe that during the playoffs. I think it's possible. I think he could get to the foul line 20 times per game during the playoffs. And if he's hitting 85% of that, that means he's hitting about 17 free throws during the playoffs per game. And that will be very important for the Sixers. That's 17 free points per game. Yeah, I I think that's a bit lofty. I don't know if, like, he's averaging 13 per 36. He'll probably play about 36 minutes a game in the playoffs. I mean, free throws are a big part of the reason why Joel has been one of the most efficient scorers in basketball this season. As you said, Lucas, they're, they're free points, and he puts a lot of pressure on defenses. He gets good players in foul trouble, which messes up rotations. So it's going to be critical. It has always been critical to his game. And with how the Sixers' offense can sort of look at times in crunch time and when things get tight, it's been better under Doc, but we know this this team has the tendency to kind of collapse in on itself. A great way to churn out points when nothing else is going is to just give the ball to Joel and let him draw fouls and let him try to do what he can to, to put points on the board. So it's going to be an important part the whole way through. Um, we're going to move on and talk about Dwight now. Uh, he is leading the league in rebounds off the bench this season with 446 total. He's also top 20 in the league in average rebounds per game, despite a fairly limited bench role behind Joel. Lucas, how surprised are we that he's still so effective on the boards? Am I surprised? Not really. I mean, he still gets his occasional big run off the bench where he's, you know, he gets a lot of rebounds. And I believe, and he's had a lot of double-doubles this season as well, if I remember correctly, it has been, I think he's had at least 10 double-doubles. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, he's just, he's a rebounding machine, and he has had seven double-doubles, my mistake. But point being is that seven double-doubles off the bench is, is pretty hard to do in a limited role behind an MVP caliber center. So the Sixers really struggled with Dwight. I'm very happy about that. Yeah, I'll keep it brief because you pretty much hit all the big points, but Dwight's one of the best rebounders of all time, basically. So it's not terribly surprising. He's still extremely big and physical. Um, he, he's definitely not the same athlete he was in Orlando, for example, but just a, a really big player. It's it's not hard for him to get position in the paint. So it, it's really not that surprising. He's just one of the best to ever do it. So that that's it is what it is. It is what it is, but let's keep it moving now. So here's some interesting stats regarding the Sixers. They have the second best road record in the league. What has been the difference this year compared to last year when the Sixers are away from home and they were just awful last year? Well, I mean, obviously the easy answer is Doc Rivers. The slightly more complex answer is that the team makes sense on paper and has a functional offensive group generally speaking you know having shooters in the starting five helps quite a bit doc has obviously brought something out of this group that brett never quite could at least not in in 
on the road. So there are several factors, but I, I think it's really just improvement across the board pretty much. You bring up some fair points, but I also want to point out the fact that the Sixers haven't had to deal with opposing teams, fans, and the stands that often this season. So maybe I think that also plays a small role in that for sure. Uh, moving on to this last point here. Uh, the Sixers have the second best defensive rating at 108.05 in the entire NBA behind only the Los Angeles Lakers. Chris, do you think in the playoffs this will be enough for them to be a top defensive team in the postseason? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think they'll pretty easily be one of the handful of best defenses in, in the postseason. Um, will it be enough for them to win a championship? I have my doubts, as I've talked about on this episode and in many episodes in the past. I think they're pretty heavy underdogs against Brooklyn. Milwaukee's a coin toss, if we want to be generous about it. Uh, the Lakers, Clippers, Suns, Jazz, Nuggets are all very good teams out in the West if they do get to the finals. But, yeah, I mean, they're going to be one of the best defenses in the playoffs. And if they do go far, that's going to be why. It's because they're going to shut teams down. So I, I, I definitely think they're that's going to be their calling card. Will they be the top defensive team in the playoffs? My guess is maybe. I know that's not really a def definite answer, but like I said before, they have all, three all-NBA defenders, in my opinion, and Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Matisse Thibel. Danny Green's no slouch. The only two players that are going to be defensive liabilities in this rotation will be Seth Curry and Forkan Korkmaz, who are both you know, lethal sharpshooters, though kind of inconsistent this season. Um, so yeah, there's a chance. Um, you know, is it, I, I would say it's probably about, they have a 60% chance of doing it. It just depends on if the Lakers are healthy, what's going on with Utah at the time, what's going on with Miami. They can be pretty stout defensively too. So, but it, there's a possibility. Sure. Um, it just depends. And I, I believe Doc Rivers can get them there, but We'll just have to see how these other teams act for sure. But they'll be in, at the top. I just don't know if they will be the best. But we'll see for sure. But uh, Chris, I think it's time for you to play us out, man. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Six or Sense podcast. As always, we greatly appreciate it. If you could drop a like, comment, a five-star review, wherever you are listening, Spotify, iTunes, Omni, the website, you know, let us know your thoughts. It would really help us out quite a bit. And we have some very exciting guests coming up in the near future. Playoff basketball is just on the horizon, so we'll have a lot of fun topics to discuss. And hopefully some more good basketball. So we will see you all again next week. Thanks, everyone. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.